Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Low Key Podcast. I'm Tim Malloy here with Keith Denny and Aaron Lanton. And this week we are talking about The Queen's Gambit, starring Anya Taylor-Joy as a brilliant chess player named Elizabeth Harmon in the 1950s and 60s. This show was created by Scott Frank and Alan Scott. And I mentioned the creators' names right up front because Scott Frank went to my university, UCSB, where I'm sure he met lots of beautiful, very intelligent women who also have issues with alcohol. Um, and I'm sure that helped inform this production. Um, I say this as a, as a um, I guess, alcoholic myself who had to quit drinking eight years ago, so I'm not throwing shade at anybody. I definitely appreciated the addiction issues they get into in the Queen's Gambit. Mm. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. I, look, Look, you, you started, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, tentatively, but I think it was still a strong opening <laughs> setting the scene. <laughs> really, really uh, showcase like what, what really drew you in. And I, I mean, it, it's a, like, unfortunately, I didn't get to finish the series. I'm the guy behind the both of you finished it. I got through the first couple, but it was really impressive from what I saw uh, to start with and, and really fascinating on a lot of different levels. So I'm excited to kind of get some spoilers and then finish the show later, like, completely for myself um yeah my wife just watched the last uh, half hour of it and nothing else um so maybe we'll go back and rewatch it again i think this is like kind of a spoiler proof show honestly so if you're listening we are going to say what happened but i don't think it'll necessarily ruin the show for you right probably not what'd you think of it keith man I, i was i liked it way more than i thought i would um I just, I guess just looking at the trailer, I was like, ah, oh, this doesn't seem that interesting. And I'm not that intrigued about chess, nor did I completely understand the game. And even watching the movie, the movie doesn't make me understand chess anymore. But I, I did, I do, I did like the journey. I like, I've always liked um, coming of age stories. And this is essentially a coming of age story that you're watching for seven hours. Yeah. So, and, and and the thing that we were talking about before we even got on here is that it was number one on Netflix. I don't think it's number one right now. Or is it still number one? It might be. I mean, it was when I was checking it out it over the last few days. Netflix, and it was just this thing about, like, what makes this movie number one over, over all these different movies on Netflix? Like, what is the allure to this film? I think a lot of it is the competition aspect, you right. know, um, even though it's not – you know, on the gridiron, it's not on the court the same way. It's not, you know, like we might see from, I guess, what's considered like a more traditional sports movie, not on a football field. That sort of back and forth of being on top, having to fight for that spot, uh, having a situation take place. I'm sure that happens where, you know, she has to double back her efforts, you know, and really like grind to defeat an opponent who, you know, was at the top of their game. Like, that kind of stuff is really compelling. Um, and when you combine that with, uh, you know, addiction issues and just kind of personal traumas, that's really compelling for a lot of viewers. And so it makes sense to me that folks would gravitate to it, especially when you see a woman um, excelling. In, in, yeah, yeah, excelling at, at, a, at a male-dominated field when, you know, there's no reason to even, like there's even moments like where they talk about like, separating women from men in competition and then she's like yeah i ain't trying to hear that you know yeah i also i really like the aspect of it which isn't 
at the forefront. It's kind of in the background that there's kind of a will there, won't they, with her and a lot of these guys she's playing with. Um, mm, yeah, and it's yeah. kind of fun to figure out who she might end up with or if she's going to end up with any of them. Um, but I totally agree with you. Like, it's so the idea of, you know, having the women play the women separately is especially nonsensical in chess where, you know, there's no physical advantage in being bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of good chess movies because of that. Queen of Katwa is a fantastic movie and it's kind of the same message. It's like this board is the only place in the world where things are completely fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's such a, to me, and I, and I don't, I feel that most people see it more as um, a motivational story in a sense. Um, especially like, like to add to what y'all was saying, like kind of like the grind of it all, but it's, it's honestly a extremely tragic story. Mm-hmm. Like even over, over to the very end, like, I don't feel that. And, and, and I might be wrong. You, Tim, you might have a different aspect on it. I don't feel like she really changed that much. Like, I think, I think she beat alcohol for the moment, but I don't know if she beat it for her life. She, she may have beat it just because she, she may have, she knew she may need it to be Borgoff, yeah. right? But I, one thing, okay, so this is what I think she learned. And um, it's that to, to not have the fear of failing. Because when she talked to talked to Jolene about, you know, going to Russia and Jolene gave her the money to go out there, she was like, Well, I could lose. And Jolene yeah. was like, Okay, so so what? You know? And she kinda accepted the fact that there's a possibility that I could lose, but I'm still gonna do this thing, right? Well that that's difficult for prodigies too though. And yeah, you you we had a conversation about prodigies and I really don't think prodigies exist. But yeah. but but I think the concept of being a prodigy is something that's thrown on her or on people in general. So like you said, it is difficult for a person that we have pretty much uplifted to a godlike status. Because even Jolene has said, you know, when they reunite as you know adults, she said you lived your whole life and never really had to fail at anything. Yeah, like. She never really lost that chest until she was an adult. She, but but that that's how a lot of so I think that's one of the things that's interesting about it because that happens actually at a lot of different levels of competition for all kinds of things. I mean, you know, whether you're talking about chess, just to keep it real simple for you know, in ways audiences definitely could probably uh know when you think about, for example, traditional American sports, a lot of these people when they are like real young, like at this point, it's like a huge circuit. Like you start traveling as, as a, like a 10 year old in a lot of yeah. cases now. And then think about it, like you're the best for all, like all this time you get to college and then suddenly you're playing a bunch of people who were the best in all of their different counties, you know? Yeah. And that's dude, what Hollywood is where it's, I was the prom king at my school. I'm going to be a huge star. And then all of them show up in the same place. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And then imagine you dominate, in a college level, then you get to the pros and then everybody who was there was all American, you know, all conference or winning all these different awards. I mean, like every time you go further, there's a new level of, of competition that, that you, the thing is, if you compete, you can't be afraid of, of um, the possibility of loss. 
Otherwise, yeah. you'll never get to the next level. In the yeah, but she, that's the, that was the perfect, that was the whole thing. She was not used to losing. Mm-hmm. It's like when um, her, her um, what, what do you call it? Her adopted mother yeah. mm-hmm. had, had told her how, um, you know, pretty much like you, you know, she, she know a lot about, she knows about loss. When she lost that first match against Benny, and then um, Beth was like, I bet you do. And then she said, well, now you do also. Right? <laughs> but she was such a, you know, she was such a smart ass and she just was so confident in her abilities to beat people. Um, and she never, and, and she would even play against herself to see like if there were any like holes in her game or whatever. And, and I think that's, that's the detrimental part of like putting even the term prodigy on somebody and them believing this to be a thing is that there is a part of you that feel like you should not, you should not ever lose if you're like on this level above everybody else. That's like the number one samurai thing though, you know, to some degree. I mean, like it's, it's like to some degree when you're out in the world and you're thinking of danger, like you have to make the assumption that any, any slash could be your last. Like if you make any assumption, your opponent is worse than you, you die. Yeah. You know, like that, that's, you know, it's kind of weird because there's different levels of like how you approach stuff. But like, if you keep being told, like Keith said, like you're the best, you're the best. At some point you you could lose your edge because you're not, you're not trying to transcend the place where you are because you feel like, Oh, well, this is the pinnacle. It's really funny. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, then when you lose, you come to reality, but what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, when you first texted, you don't think prodigies exist. I was like, for, I, first I was like, of course they exist. And then I was like, well, maybe I just assume that because I've had that fed into my head all these years. And so I'm going to do, and then I was like, I'm sure we can settle this with Google. And then I Googled and then I was like, oh yeah, this actually isn't settleable at all. It sort of comes down to your definition of, of prodigy. And like we exchanged some articles through text and things like that the thing I sort of came up with is there is a phenomenon of kids who have amazing memory. And I think she has that. Mm -hmm. But I think the other thing about prodigies is you have to really want it for some reason. And you have to get the drug like dopamine rush that she gets from winning. And I think it's more acute for someone like her. Who's like, she's an orphanage. She's in an orphanage sleeping in the same room as 40 other girls constantly being told like fall into line. You're not special. And for her to find something that she can win at, I think is more important for her than it might be for the average kid Um, to have like, this is the one bright spot in your life. Like in a world full of bread, you get a cupcake every time you do this, like you would be very into cupcakes. And I think the same way that she gets into tranquilizers, she gets into chess. Um, And I think that is kind of what you need to be successful on the level that she's successful. And I think of like a Michael Jordan or a Tom Brady who maybe isn't the best when they're younger and then become the best when they're older because they've like tasted loss and know how sweet it is to win. Right. And and then also like like to add J- Jordan in comparison to Beth, he has that, that dopamine hit from winning. So his biggest thing, I think, like his biggest disposition is the fact that he's a very competitive person. I don't think if it was something where he didn't compete, I don't know if he'll be excelling that as much, right? So, so getting into Jordan's journey a little bit, he was actually um, one of the last generation of, of um, 
players who were in a college system where you typically stayed at a minimum three years. And he was taught by Dean Smith. Uh, I said taught, well, coached by Dean Smith at the University of North Carolina. He's one of the greatest coaches, um, you know, for that particular sport at a collegiate level. And I think that combined with the fact that he, his, the sort of competition Jordan had, we're talking about like the best teams of all time that he was consistently playing against. It was a lot of really uh, – just deep competition at, you know, at a historic level, you know, I think that helps, but I do think it's worth mentioning that because see, I think when we talk about prodigies, I, I kind of, I don't think of adults as prodigies. I think of very, very young people as prodigies. Like there are people who are just gifted at math, for example, like they just get it in a way other kids don't like you can. Just, yeah. I was one of them. And it was really, <laughs> you could throw a sheet of, of, Math problems in front of me. I'm like, oh yeah, boom. I, and I, I suck at math. But that go like like even if we go circle back with the Queen's Gambit, like Beth was great at math. You know, they mentioned that multiple times how she was like very, very good at math. Mm-hmm. So she just as well could have just been a mathematician. And and so what I what I think a, a lot of it is like, see, I hate math, but I know math deals with problem solving. Mm-hmm. And chess is the same way. You know what I mean? Um, you 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 can you know go through all these different problems and stuff, and um, but it but I think the difference though with chess, and I think what maybe would connect her and you with chess more than I guess math is that there's so many different ways to win, yeah. right? Based off based off what what your opponent is doing, and you have to sit there and you have to see what they're doing and see how you can counter what other moves you can make, what other type of combinations are there. Like to add to what what Tim was saying is that I just believe that like you have more of a passion towards a particular thing and then you put more time and effort into that thing. And I think most people that we consider to be like geniuses, for example, are more so people that's just obsessed or have some type of obsessive compulsive behavior. But see, th- th- I guess that's where I would draw the distinction. I think young people are, can be. Pro- I think I draw a distinction between geniuses and prodigies. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like prodigies yeah. are people who just like are naturally gifted at a thing, like like really early. And geniuses are people who hone that to a point where like it's the pinnacle of that particular sector or talent or art or whatever it is we're talking about. Who is naturally gifted that's not influenced by their environment though? I mean, that can happen, but, you know. Uh, I have never heard of it, though. No, but see, like, you can't show your gift that it's something that's not in front of you. Like, those are two different things we're talking about. Well, yeah. what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is, like, when we talk about, like, I, what, what was the first one? Like, the poster child for prodigies is Mozart, right? Mm-hmm. But Mozart was in an environment that allowed him to be a prodigy by the age of five. Okay, but you can be a prodigy. Like, it's hard to be a genius if you're not a prodigy, but prodigies don't always turn into geniuses. Like, those are two different things. Like, well, like, what I'm saying is that you train you train up a child to be a so-called prodigy. Like, they're not just- No, 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 no. So, so I would say you train up a child to become a genius. I wouldn't say you train up a child to be a prodigy. Like, the thing is, there's an innate talent a person might have that would make them a prodigy in the right environment. Like the way Elizabeth bumps in the chest, say, for example, is complete accident. 
she's like busting through some some you know whatever test that was real quick she gets asked to like knock on some some erasers in the basement and when she's down and she happens to be engaged in really looking at the custodian doing you know the game she's like well what's that you know and then it just kind of happens right so in general i would say you know people can have innate talents for things but not have an opportunity to showcase that like that happens all the time you know you and i have definitely witnessed that a plenty of times people just have an innate talent for stuff and they aren't given an opportunity to really showcase that I don't know. That's what I don't. I don't know because I don't. I can't think of nobody off back that I think has an innate talent in the way. Oh, that I've seen that. About. I've seen that plenty of times. Because well, I mean, but I'm saying like if you every everything you're good at, you you're good at it through repetition. Not necessarily. I, 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 I honestly wouldn't say that. Like for example, Stevie Wonder, right? Stevie Wonder is somebody who undeniably has an ear for something in a way other people just simply don't. Like. You don't just simply, I mean, he, he already has like a, a handicap and that he can't see. You Now, the repetition of doing things, yeah, like, you know, he can, you know, through repetition, hone his ability, but he is able to create a sound and, and produce and do things in a way that other people sonically have not been able to do since then really or really like emulate on onto a new kind of style you know like i do think there's a such thing i don't mean like this is just like somebody's throwing a you know, like some you know fantasy arrow somebody saying like they they get this one particular ability but like there are are people who have different dispositions to things and it turns out differently in their genius as they get to hone it you know basically as you were putting this feels like a total nature nurture thing because disposition goes back to like how you were parented almost like, do you feel supported enough to indulge in certain things or to take certain risks? And it could on the other hand be, do you feel unsupported enough that you feel like you have to take certain risks? And that's just pretty fascinating to me. I mean, it's like the thing about becoming president. If you want to raise your kid to be president, you can either be like the best dad ever or you can be the worst dad ever, and your kid will have something to prove. I yeah, mean, Obama's father was not in his life. Bill Clinton's father. I mean, not in his life. I don't know. Do I mean? And, and even in this case, in the story we're talking about, um, Elizabeth, her parents are geniuses. Yeah, I, there, there's some, there's some genetic component, and there's some also nurture component, and it's no one's really struck the balance. The thing I tried to think about with this story was author intent. Like, what did the author of this try to get across? What were Scott Frank and um, Alan Scott trying to get across? What was the author of the novel trying to get across? Walter Titus. Can I ask a question about this? Because I, actually, I don't yeah. know anything about, like, the, the composition of the story and, like, how it was created. So is this in any way based on a true story? It never says so, like, when the story's starting up. But, like, how, what, what's the, what's the I, impetus? I don't think that? so. It's a novel by Walter Tevis and Walter Tevis is a super interesting dude because he also wrote, um, he also wrote the color of money. Okay. And he wrote that, uh, Paul Newman story, the original, the hustler, which is technically the hustler comes out like 25 years before the color of the money, but color of money, but they're technically one as a sequel. I just said that so badly. <laughs> the hustler <laughs> comes out of the 1960s and it's Paul Newman. And then 25 years later, the color of money comes out where Paul Newman is playing the same character. Um, okay. No one really thinks of the color of money as like the hustler part two. 
but I guess it technically is in the sense that Paul Newman is the same character in both. At the same time, it's super weird to think of it as a sequel coming out 25 years later. And I think the thing that Walter Tevis gets across in those is basically, you know, skill is super important. What you do with your skill is super important, but there's also some things that are innate, like eyesight is innate and a steady hand is innate. Um, you can steady your hands more, but you can't really do that much with your eyes. Yeah, just, you know, it's so, okay. Real quick point before you keep going. This is something that, uh, since we keep bringing up Michael Jordan, this happened with Kobe too, but like Phil Jackson, who was the coach uh, for Michael Jordan with the Bulls, he used to talk about he had to really get Michael Jordan to like temper down how he approached certain things with his teammates. He was like, look, Michael, you got to understand, like you are you. You, you understand the game in the way you understand it. And you can physically do things that your teammates cannot do. It's not just because you practice more. You can do it. They can't. It's a talent issue. Talent is not a... I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that, man. No, 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 like, no, how no. Can, how can that... This, this my thing is like, how could that ever be proven considering the fact of how much... Michael Jordan trained in comparison. No, to- no, 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 no. Look, 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 look. Like because because you, you, you could train more than Michael Jordan and and not become who he is. You can train more than Kobe Bryant and not become who he is. Like that's not how that works. You got to start now, at like age zero. You won't, you won't specifically be them. No, you wouldn't because they got a different way that they approach the game and their mind might work a bit different. But he 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 is who he is because of his training and his repetition yeah but but and for his love for the game it, it's a See, my combination thing about, my thing about talent is that i think it's something that people just created to say like well this person is better than you just because they were born better than you at this thing no, but the I'd thing see- that's weird to me about that is that it kind of to me one part of it that don't make sense is like let's say if i'm like somebody say that i'm like, let's take you, for example, and let's say somebody say that you are gifted at playing Street Fighter 2, right? Okay. Yeah. Like, you've been playing Street Fighter since you were five years old. You at five years old, you beating all these grown people in championships or whatever, right? Aaron is like the Elizabeth Harmon. Like, for people listening, Aaron <laughs> is legitimately like the Elizabeth Harmon of Street Fighter. Oh, Street like Fighter. Like, yeah, because I got to the bigger world and got fired on. Right, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> So like real life, this isn't a joke. Like Aaron is an incredibly good Street Fighter player. Right. But the thing is, people don't know how much you play Street Fighter when you're not playing Street Fighter in competition. Okay, but, but he, also, he, he, also, like let's say, like just think of the concept that you literally, for some reason in your brain, you are just good at Street Fighter. What if Street Fighter didn't exist? Key. What would you be talented in me. then? What would there you be are, a prodigy in then? There are children who are much better at the at fighting games than I am. No, there no, I children. understand it. But what I'm saying is that if a person is innately born with a particular talent in a particular area, what if that thing did not exist? Like, what if basketball didn't exist? What would Michael J- Jordan be then? Then, yeah, I mean, he might become something. I mean, like, you can apply that stuff to different things. I mean, there's no telling, right? But 
maybe it's not a physical skill. Maybe he decides to do something else. Maybe he just becomes a regular dude. Like, I mean, there's no way to know, right? But one thing I can tell you for a fact, like, okay, since we're using like real life examples. One thing it, you could say for a fact, Michael Jordan is equally great at baseball and basketball. It's just... <laughs> and, he, the way, and, you know, he played baseball a shit ton when he did basketball to start with. But I get like what I'm getting at is I could give you several different real world examples of seeing people practice shit more and do it more than other people. And they're not better than other people. Like there are people who like when it comes to, okay, like and it's funny because when it comes to like esports, fighting games, people playing Street Fighter, Tekken, King of Fighters, all these other fighting games like today, right? There are people who have played tens of thousands of hours of certain games and I can pick up the game for 20 hours and beat them. There are people who I've played where I get thousands of hours in a game and then a 10 year old child will come up and beat my ass. It just depends. Like it's not really that straightforward on anything. You know, I think it is. I think, I think sometimes people like there are outliners. Like I think people of course can beat certain people and it might be just not, not, not because of the time that's put in, but also the way that they do a particular thing. But I don't, my point that I'm saying is that I don't think nobody is innately born talented in a particular area. You might be. Um, okay. Wait, 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 wait. So you think you, okay. I, I'm just, I'm just making examples, right? You think you could with enough practice draw as good as, I don't know. Let me think of somebody random. Um, I can think of like, like, well, you don't know some of these comic artists. Okay, just think of like a comic artist you really, really are into. You think with enough practice in like a couple of years, you could draw as well as them. That's if I, that's if I wanted, no, probably not, not in a couple of years because they pro- most likely been drawn longer than me, well, but I can get just as close. But the only, the, the, now the other thing to take into consideration is, do I even care to do that? You see what I'm saying? But so, like, do, so I even, other, do I even the have the, the passion to do that? This, this just ahead, occurred to me while you're talking. Self-consciousness is another thing because I've been trying to learn Spanish, like trying very hard to learn Spanish since I was 18 years old. I'm mm-hmm. terrible at Spanish. Terrible. And part of it is like the self-consciousness of like, I'm going to sound stupid if I mispronounce this. I might insult somebody. Like there's always that question, of like I meet a Spanish speaker and I'm like, can I even talk to them in Spanish? Or is that like, I'm like, acting like I think they can't speak English and is that going to offend them? Mm. Um, there's like a whole gender thing with like, what if I use the wrong pronoun or something? What if I use the plural? Conjugating correctly. Yeah. All that stuff. Super self-conscious. A five-year-old will walk up and use some terrible Spanish and everybody will laugh and think it's cute. And so they're encouraged to keep going and to try and take risks. And a five-year-old will become fantastic at Spanish. When people say they speak Spanish better when they're drunk, they probably do because they're not that self-conscious about what they're saying or worrying about offending people or anything like that. Right. And I think childhood is a time when you just take these risks and don't understand consequences. I mean, we've all seen a kid who like goes running across the street and you're like, Oh, I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Cause they don't know what it is to fall. See, I, I think like part of what my pushback on what Keith is talking about is I've done enough com- competitive things where I've had my ego bashing enough to understand like there's certain I wouldn't even say limitations, but like some people just like have for certain things, like different ways and, and focuses on, on what they do and how they think about it. So like you can have somebody that's like crazy athletic, but they don't, they don't see the game the same way. Like th- there's so many examples of people that like 
the like way more athletic than somebody like Michael Jordan, but they don't like actually they, they can't think past the first step or two of what to do if a defender does a certain thing. Like they can do it skill wise, but it's not in, in their brain to do it. And somebody has to help bring that out. You have to be coached into that. And you yeah, have to but, be but, but I'm saying like but but all you have so to have you, so circumstances you, for that. You can't so the, but I'm not there's there's no such thing like as a top version of what you can be you can you can excel it and be go beyond things and get to where lebron james is or whatever right but what i'm saying is it takes certain circumstances for people to then assume you are a genius and then give you a pedestal for that so no people give people a pedestal of genius because of their own insecurities like well, they give them the, the pedestal world, of genius the because they're excelling beyond well, what, I, I, I don't hear that it. that makes sense yeah I, no. I think people are excelling beyond the level of what is present. So, like, if when you call somebody a genius, you're saying, okay, here's a bar, and then here's a high bar, and then somebody keeps going above that high bar. But can yeah, you say more what you're saying? Because I The thing is, though, once you see somebody pass that high bar, other people realize that it can be done, and then they pass that bar. But I think the idea of a genius itself was just created so that people could say, well, that person's able to do this, because they're innately born as a genius or a prodigy or whatever you want to call them. And that's why they're able to do it. And that's why I can't do it. No, but see, I, but, but, but like, I think, I think you're defining genius differently. Cause I don't, does the show even say this at any point specifically that like, now they, I, I never saw them use the word genius, but like, I wouldn't assume, for example, that because someone reached a high height that other people couldn't do that. One thing I like about the show is they don't really direct you in what the solution is. Like you can take it as she got good because she had no other options and she practiced in the basement with this really good teacher. You can take it as she was just born that way. You can take it as, you know, the tranquilizers brought out the best in her. Um, <laughs> you can kind of interpret it how you want to interpret it. Yeah. But she legit played chess as much as she could. And then she had chessboard. She played chess every day. She obsessed over chess. She read chess magazines. Her whole life was chess. She couldn't talk about anything outside of chess. So even after sex, she talked about chess. But what did so, y'all think of her character arc? I, like I was just curious about that. Like how she evolved as as things like, went along. Like was it was that convincing and compelling to y'all? I just I just kind of like the story and the character, but I don't think she had anything just extremely compelling, like as a character. Like because she to me she was pretty much she was kind of flat to me the whole time. Like she was pretty much the same character, the whole story. You know, what's weird. I find something really appealing about sort of flat characters. Like I like yeah, Brady Sinella stories where the character is totally flat and you can't really read them. And I think one thing about her, and I'm not just throwing this out there because um, I don't mean to generalize or anything like that, but I'm going to read from scientific American. Um, they did a study of some, child prodigies and they said the researchers also found that as a group the prodigies showed higher levels of autistic traits compared to the control group consisting of people who weren't prodigies um, while the large majority of children with autism aren't child prodigies these results are suggestive that there is a prevalence of autism among prodigies i thought she might be a little bit autistic i mean because can i can I, she, can I can i i was, I was just not not to cut off your point I, the only thing i'd want to say is a caveat as we're discussing this with, yeah. with that point is that people who are at a, such a high level of whatever they're doing yeah. 
oftentimes I, I kind of don't want to just throw autism around like that. Cause I, think I don't it, either. I'm not, I'm, I'm basing it on scientific American. I'm not saying it based on like my opinion. Well, well, no. So I'm, I'm saying it because what they're talking about is like people who are aloof and don't like really engage with people and are kind of like socially disengaged. But yeah. that often kind of happens more when you are among people who you can't totally like, just like let your hair down all the way. Like there's always like you might feel like there's an ulterior motive to every conversation you're having. You know, that's true. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of the scenes and autism might be too strong. I mean, it might be, I'm, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I she don't, might be on the spectrum though. She say. might be on the spectrum because the way she acts like with huge fans and people who will say things to her, like you changed my life. And she's like, Oh, thank you. Bye. Yeah. But she's not magic Johnson. You know what I mean? Like magic Johnson, for example, every time he meets somebody who is a stranger, he's out there like glowing and stuff. Yeah. One thing that was really interesting about watching the um, uh, the last dance of Michael Jordan, yeah, it, you see these moments where like when he's alone, he's like, "Shit, I finally get to breathe," but like I can't like go to a movie theater or a grocery store. Like this freaking sucks, you know. You know, let me. I, I only wanted to bring that into it because I read about the Scientific American thing with I'll give the title of it. it's called Beautiful Minds, mm -hmm. and I found it really interesting about traits and prodigies. Um. And I did wonder about whether, whether they were trying to imply the autism thing, but let me just go with like extreme introvert. Um, because I think she did, I think she was an extreme introvert. And I think that registers to some people as really flat. Yeah. And even the way she talks to people uh, is very kind of curse a little bit. Like it's not rude, but like, she's very matter of fact and like, Hey, you know, she goes to people, hey, what table I have to go to? It's not, there's no pleasantries. There's no like, you know, oh, how was your day? And you're like, no, nah, where do right. I have to go? Yeah, let me just go straight to yeah. it. Like, whatever. I ain't and, and I think that's a lot of um, that uh, kind of like a more of obsessive behavior that's connected to that too. Like her main thing and her main focus is, is chess. So what do you guys think of like, so what, what do you guys think leads her to like the addiction side? Is it just because, you know, of what she was exposed to when she was a young child, do you guys think that that was like just part of who she is, like that 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 is kind of innate within her, or that happened because of her exposure to those drugs early on? Um, I mean, I think all addiction is genetic predisposition. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's people who drink a lot and aren't alcoholics. Um, there's people who don't drink that much and are alcoholics. Mm. It's just what your genetic makeup is, and I think she had that special genetic makeup, and that was one of those. Um, one of the cues I thought that there are some things that are just innate that they might be good. They might be bad, but they're the cards you're dealt. Mm. Um, cause like as soon as, cause like Jolene will take like, um, we'll take tranquilizers like rec recreationally for fun and she's fine. Um, but as soon as Beth takes them, she's like, this,